Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, SGS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you, when there's not tech issues, the very best guests in all of true crime. Today we had uh, not one, but two uh, minor issues. We're trying to get back into the software, and uh, Shannon Morin the sister-in-law of Rachel Morin, is going to join us, uh, we hope. Uh, she's having her own uh, issue with Wi-Fi, but uh, these are the days in 2023 as people are podcasting. So bear with us. Of course, uh, no disrespect to uh, Randolph, who I'm about to introduce you to, or Scott Duffy, who you know well, but the star of today's show uh, is Shannon Morin, and uh, hopefully she will be with us uh, in a moment. Of course, uh, this week, it marks two months since Rachel Morin, a Maryland mom of five's body, was found near a trail where she went missing the day before. Uh, she was ultimately found murdered. Uh, the Harford County Sheriff says that Rachel Morin's death was the result, and, and I quote here, of violent homicide. Uh, best guest to discuss it. And again, we hope that Shan Shannon Morin can get on uh, momentarily. Of course, she is Rachel's sister-in-law. Uh, married to Rachel's brother. Uh, and then we've got attorney Randolph Rice. Uh, he is an attorney representing the Morin family. He secured a position with the Baltimore County State's Attorney Office as an assistant state's attorney. Uh, during his tenure with the state's attorney office, he tried thousands of cases in front of juries and judges and uh, handled matters ranging from misdemeanors to felonies and uh, obviously a stand-up guy. He helped uh, secure this interview that we hope we're going to have for you momentarily. And he's now a partner in the firm, Rice, Mirtha, and Pesaurus. Uh, and they helped to raise the uh, reward that we're going to talk about uh, in just a couple minutes. And then, you know the familiar face. That is the one and only Scott Duffy, the director of Wilmington University's Criminal Justice Institute. I asked him on for two reasons. He's a great investigator, great mind, and... He's familiar with the area a bit. Uh, Scott is retired out of, the, out of the Wilmington, Delaware office, and prior to that served five and a half years as a Pennsylvania uh, police officer. Um, to you, Randolph, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, I know you're an attorney, and I know you're representing the family, but emotionally, uh, how's this been for you? Uh, I mean, you're dealing with the emotions of the family, and obviously very painful news here. Certainly. I mean, um, you know, I think a lot of times people have lawyers in their lives because we can maybe turn off the emotion a little bit and guide them with the advice that they may say, you know, I wasn't thinking about that. I wasn't, you know, th this family is so torn up. They're so uh, hurt and they're those, you know, you talk about those stages of grief. They've gone through the anger. I think they probably come back from to the anger they go to sadness they go to trying to to make it right and when you're going through those things you're not i guess maybe making the best decisions and so i think that's where we come in and, and we're trying to help them make those decisions um our role has been sort of a bunch of different roles one is we're here to help them and answer questions right nobody goes through this certainly as attorneys we've had experience dealing with these types of cases um and so we're there to advise them. We're here to help them with the media. We're here to help them with trying to keep the story going. We're here to help them with the digital campaign and the reward and the how do we interact with the police department. Um, so there's a lot of different sort of hats that we wear. 
Uh, appreciate that answer. And uh, Shannon, are you hearing us? Shannon? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, we've got you. Thank yep. you so much. Can you, can you hear me? Uh, yep. Yeah, you're, uh, you're looking and sounding good. I appreciate you doing this. Um, obviously, our, our hearts go out to you. and We know it's been a really difficult time. Um, I just wanted to start uh, by you simply telling us about Rachel and your relationship with her and the kind of person that she was. Yeah, um, I mean, I met her when we were, I think I was 16 and she was 14, as far as I remember. We might have even been a little bit younger. Um, and I met her in church. I met her whole family in church. Um, she was probably one of the first people in her family that I met. And uh, we had kept in touch, you know, as teenagers and been friends, um, even when I, you know, started college and all that. And then I actually started dating her brother. <laughs> so we um, obviously remained friends. And I had been married to her brother now almost 18 years. And uh, so we, we definitely knew each other well. We raised kids together. Um, you know, we were friends through pregnancies and, um, just all sorts of things. So that's, that's how I knew her. And we, you know, spent a lot of time together, um, just doing mom stuff and family stuff and all that. So that's, um, pretty much I knew her as a friend and a mom and, you know, sometimes we'd work out together, go to the trail together. And honestly, the trail where she was found, we were there a lot. So that's, that was a big, um, that was a huge blow to know that. Wow. And, uh, I have to ask, um, you know, your husband's first name and how, how is your husband doing? He's obviously Rachel's brother. And then you've got Rachel's mother. How are the two of them uh, holding up uh, almost two months later? Um, they're, they're taking it differently. Um, my husband is Michael, um, so he, he is more protective big brother. He's just really, he's really um, angry this happened. And he was really upset that he couldn't be there to protect her. I mean, we were out of town at another funeral, sadly. And we had just come back the night that she went missing. So, um, you know, late that night. And we didn't realize till the next morning. So, um, you know, I think he, he wishes he could have been here. And he feels really bad that he, he was not here. Um, um. And uh, their mom is definitely my husband. Is. You, you broke up so. a little bit there. Oh, we have a little bit of a delay issue, um, but it's all good. Um, she's, she's been pretty quiet lately. Okay. The mother. Um, so Scott, you just heard, um, Shannon say that, you know, the brother is feeling guilty that he wasn't there to protect her. And, um, you know, it's ironic. I was just talking to a police officer who breached the door at the, uh, MGM, uh, the shooting, the horrific mass shooting was just the uh, anniversary yesterday. Um, and, you know, he, he said something similar. He says he feels bad. He couldn't have done more. And I was like, listen, you did more than anyone else. You breached the door to get that shooter. Um, how do you comfort, Scott, um, from your end, uh, families when they've been through this kind of trauma? 
Mm. Wow. That's uh, so first and foremost, Shannon, um, love prayers and all my sympathies as, um, as news of Rachel and then just um, heartbreak. So as, as an investigator being a part of so many violent crimes where you have to reach out to the family, whether it be being that officer or that agent that actually has to provide the death notification or to be with the family member during uh, an ID process, if there is one. It's just, I've learned in my years just to make myself available. Just, I've had, um, you know, if somebody wants to just react and give me a hug, I'm going to give them a hug back. And it's, you're there at a very crucial time. And so it's just making yourself extremely present and then being able to say my position here is to find out who did this and to bring justice. And so then it's a ongoing communication, keeping that line of communication open. And then with somebody like Randolph, um, when you have attorneys present, it's just, He's, he's spot on. It just makes it so much easier as you have someone who knows the system on many different sides and so is able to uh, sometimes tweak it if you need to, to be tweaked and uh, remind you of things. And, and ultimately, it's, it's just making sure you continue to do your job and, um, and provide answers where you, when you can provide those answers. And uh, Shannon, I know you came in late, so I don't even know if you know, but Scott is a retired FBI out of Delaware and knows your area pretty well, which is why, and he's a regular guest on our show, which is why I asked him to come on. But uh, we are coming up uh, this week, it's hard to believe, two months. Um, Are you surprised or discouraged? And by the way, please tell Michael and Rachel's mother that we are thinking of them. and I know there's not a lot we can say other than that, but we are thinking of them. But are you surprised that coming up on the two-month mark here that uh, this person, whoever he is, uh, and they've got that ID, uh, you know, the DNA match, but not the ID. Are you surprised that this person hasn't been caught yet? Um, personally, yes, I am very surprised because this is a small town and, um, people really, I definitely am very very surprised that it's gone on this long. I mean, the cops here pull you over for having a light out. (laughs) Yeah. Um. Shannon's video and audio. I'm gonna have um, Shannon. I'm gonna I'm gonna just drop you out for one second and have our COE work with your audio and video for one second. See if she can help you and maybe move you to a better spot. But um, Randolph, the big news today, obviously, and your firm put out a press release about this, is uh, the reward is literally tripled in a week. It went from ten thousand. It's now at thirty thousand um, dollars. And as I understand it, you got uh, I think ten that was increased to twenty thousand, and then you got 
$10,000 additionally from uh, an anonymous person. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So initially, in the few weeks after the murder, the uh, Metro Crime Stoppers came forward and said that they were going to put $2,000 down. And then um, the asset forfeiture unit of the Harford County Sheriff's Department came in and said, we're going to put down 8000 And that set the initial stage of $10,000. We were sitting around trying to figure out how, what do we do to try to do to, to get this thing off the ground and, and how do we get more information out there and how do we get you know more people to maybe come forward and our partners in our office and firm said let's let's double the reward and so last week we went from ten thousand to twenty thousand dollars and for two reasons one is we were hoping that this is going to incentivize somebody to come forward and say um, I know this individual in the video. I, I recognize him. Uh, you know, it's now, unfortunately, we've talked about this with others. Uh, money sometimes makes people do things. And the hope was maybe a little bit more money would make somebody to come forward and say, I know who this person is. That was last week. Then this week, this morning, we had a just incredible woman from Hartford County, from Bel Air, came forward and said, you know what? I don't know what I can do to help, but this is the one thing I know I can do to help. And, and I want to increase that reward to $30,000 and came in and gave us the extra $10,000. And now we're $30,000. And it's funny because we've actually gotten a couple more phone calls today from people saying, Hey, I, I want to uh, try to help. What can I do? How much can I put in to try to get that reward up? And I think that it, it, Again, it serves two purposes. One is it incentivizes possibly somebody to come forward. And two is it may keep this story in the news because the more that video is seen, the more often that video is out there. And this kind of ties into why we did the digital campaign a couple of weeks ago in Spanish language. But the more people that see that, the, the hope is that somebody says, I recognize that man. I know who he is. And they contact the sheriff's department. Mm. Um, Scott Duffy, in your experience, um, you're dealing with bank robbers, fugitives, all kinds of people. Um, does reward money? Uh, does it get people to talk? And uh, does you know do, do people come forward as a result of increased reward money? Absolutely, it does. You know, there's there's so many different types of people out there. There are people who are absolutely going to call in everything whatever it is, the smallest piece, and they're just going to do it. There are other people that are are not going to call in, and it takes something as an incentive. And if it's, if it's a, um, a dollar amount, a reward, that's going to help push somebody over that line to make that tip, then fantastic. And when um, community and other resources can come together to continue to raise that award, it's going to you're also going to incentivize people to to really start just thinking and looking and being much more alert and aware, whatever it is that they think. And then you'll have people that are just walking down and saying, I think that looks like somebody. Um, and so if it's, you'll get a lot of tips that are going to end up being, hey, we ran them down and it's not the person and it's not going to be helpful. But, you know, law enforcement needs those tips because um, without these tips, they're not able to run things down. And so it, it's definitely helpful to, to get the word out any which way possible and get people thinking about this, as Randolph was saying, keeping it in the news. And, and then ultimately, somebody's going to run into somebody, whether it's going to be 
if, if it's not a known party, a friend, a family member, an associate, a neighbor, a colleague that says, okay, it's been gnawing at me. Let me just go ahead and make that call and let the police determine if, if it's him or not. You're going to get somebody that's like, I keep watching the video. I keep watching the video. And then they're standing next to somebody on a bus, a train or wherever. And then say, you know what? Let me just make that call to a tip line. So it's, it's extremely useful. Uh, good to know. Uh, Shannon, glad to have you back. I think the connection's probably a lot better right now. So I just wanted to pick up. Um, and if you didn't catch it, Scott's with the FBI out of Delaware. He's retired, but that's why I asked him to come on because he knows uh, your neighborhood and he's a great investigative mind. But um, are you surprised, this is what I was asking when you started to break up, that you we're coming up on two months this week uh, and still no suspect has been apprehended? Uh, did you think it would happen by now? Yes, I absolutely am surprised. And that's mainly because, um, like I was saying, um, it, unfortunately, lost signal earlier, but this is a small town. Um, Bel Air is a small town. So it's the kind of place where, you know, everyone knows each other and you get pulled over. I mean, for sometimes the silliest things, <laughs> like having a light out in your car or, you know, like just anything. So so the fact that, you know, there's a, there's a pretty heavy police presence here and everybody knows each other and it's a safe place, you know, it's relatively safe and you feel safe walking around and going about, out and about doing things. Um, I am very surprised that it has taken this long in a place like this, like Baltimore city, maybe I could see it taking a long time, but in a place like this, it is very surprising. And, um, Shannon, I just, I was saying before, uh, please let Michael and uh, Rachel's mother know that we are thinking of them. Um, I, I wish there was something more that we could say. Um, and I was, you know, obviously talking to Scott earlier about how, you know, it's, it's painful to hear that Michael feels like he should have done more. Um, but please let them know that our thoughts with us. I think you were saying that, uh, you know, they're handling it differently. And I think you cut out when you got to Rachel's mom, but I think you said she's quiet right now. Is that right? She's just not wanting to talk much. Yeah. I mean, she's kind of been, um, keeping to herself, I think. Um, you know, I haven't really interacted with her very much, but, um, you know, personally, but, uh, you know, she's definitely grieving and I can tell that. So mm. I've kind of given her some distance. <laughs> I mean, that's just what she needs right now, I think. Uh, and uh, we're all feeling for her. And obviously, unless you're in those shoes, you really don't know what it's like. Um, Randolph, I'm not T-Pain, is one of our moderators and a uh, big friend of the show. Uh, she's asking, have you or your family uh, gotten any further information on what law enforcement is doing to find this person who did this to Rachel? Um, how closely are you in contact with the Harford County Sheriff? Uh, how often do you speak to them? I've talk to him about once a week. Uh, I talked to the detective this morning. Um, typically I'm providing information as to what we're doing on our end, not to step on their toes. And, um, I would think that that's probably what they want. Um, we're trying to respect the process while that's hard. And I know Shannon could probably speak to that and how Michael and, and, and Rachel's mom, Patty, I spoke to Patty today. Um, it's hard because, they are anxious to get answers. Um, and I under, understand as a former prosecutor, and, I, and I'm sure, Scott, you probably understand as a former law enforcement, is that sometimes you just can't release information um, because it may jeopardize the investigation. Um, it also may be because you don't have that information right now. 
So they're playing it pretty close to the vest. Um, but I will say that I know they're still moving forward. I know they're still waiting on information to come in and evidence to come in. Um, I, I don't. I have confidence in my statement in saying I think it's probably uh, either video footage that needs to be analyzed or cell phone data that needs to be, uh, you know, run through and looked at. Um, I know it, uh, those are, those are probably two things that they're still looking at, um, but they are not releasing a lot of information, and I understand that. And Scott, to you. Um, for all we know, as Randolph just said, I mean, they could be circling this guy right now. Who, who knows? They could be getting ready. We, we just don't know. But from your standpoint as an investigator, how tough is it when you know the family is literally aching for answers and you might have something, but you just can't give it to them because you can jeopardize the investigation? How tough is that for you? Oh, yeah, it is. It is tough. You're trying. And, and Randolph said it. Um, so eloquently, you're, there's a big balance, and it's important to make yourself completely available to the family. And that's why, you know, especially bigger departments and so forth, they have the uh, the extra uh, manpower to to try to take that off the lead investigator's um, plate. But at the same time, the the goal is and that's why that early conversation the job of the investigator and and in that inner circle of the investigation is we want to find this guy and we want to do everything in our power to ensure that uh this guy is removed from the streets and and ultimately brought to justice right and while you're doing that there are things that can't be exposed and it's it's it is a difficult process, but at the same time, it is something that, especially departments that have gone through this quite a bit, they understand the uh, the ins and the outs and being able to say that right thing, that right word, while at the same time constantly, constantly um, providing hope with limited information. And and like I said earlier, you know, you, you have the... Um, the friends, the family, you have the the attorneys that are able to constantly get that going um, to where the investigators can continue to do their job. And then sometimes the reality is there are pieces of evidence that are outside their control. It's being forensically examined. And the ge- genealogy aspect of this, CODIS was a fantastic starting point. And, and everybody thinks, well, if, if it was a CODIS, it, it should be an ID just like that. And, and then, of course, uh, the letdown, is, it's not. So it's, it's, a, um, it's, it's, it's a maze of, of watching where you step, but constantly forging forward. And, and uh, you know, this, 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 this is not, not going to be this, – this is going to be a question of when. And um, as opposed to it's not, or we don't have answers. This is really just a waiting game here, and it's it's uh, it's going to happen. Uh, yeah, it's good to hear that. Go ahead, Randolph. Well, and I think maybe Scott can speak to this too. You, we got to remember there are two investigations that are going on here. There's the investigation in Harford County, Maryland, but there's also the investigation in Los Angeles County, and so I think there's also a 
a caution on the part of at least the Maryland law enforcement that they don't want to step on or do something that will jeopardize the investigation in Los Angeles County. Um, so, you know, if, if, if Harford County was investigating two separate crimes in their own jurisdiction, that would be something they could focus on and then they would know how, or they would be able to release information based on that. But with their concern that something may happen um, that would be to their detriment by releasing information in California, uh, maybe that's a reason why. And I get a sense from the sheriff's statements, sort of reading between the lines, that that may be uh, a concern that they have here. So, you know, I'm hopeful. I know the family's hopeful. We're all sort of praying every day that something comes out. I think the cell phone data is going to be probably the, the, um, the, the, the thing that breaks this case wide open. Because if you remember in the video, you can see the cell phone in his pocket as he's leaving the house. Mm-hmm. It would shock me that if he, that, that he did not get on Facebook or use his phone or text or do whatever in, in Maryland. Now, the hope is, is obviously that's the same phone. And Scott, I'm sure you can speak to that. Um, but if that's the same phone that was used in California and that was used in Harford County, the hope is that can be matched. And, you know, every time you, you get one of these things, you have to provide your information. That may give them a name. And that's what, that's what I think that's a big piece of evidence that we're waiting for. And uh, oftentimes digital forensics are the key now. We'll get back to Scott on that. But, uh, Shannon, you see uh, SCS Nation from Little Monster. Shannon, you're such a strong woman and keeping you and your family in my thoughts and prayers. Thank you for coming on to STS. We all appreciate it. Uh, followed by Cosmic Shy. God bless Miss Shannon and fam. Um, obviously, the people most affected by this, uh, other than Rachel herself, um, are the children. Um, are the kids doing okay? Um, are you able to give us the range and age of the children? And, uh, you know, I assume obviously they're with family now. Yeah, so um, she did have five children. Um, the oldest is 18. The youngest is seven. So they're all between there. Um, they're doing well, considering. I actually just saw all of them but one yesterday because um, they all went to the apple orchard to go apple picking. So um, we're making an effort to ensure that they get together every so often because they have been split up. Um, so that is really important, I think, in them getting through this, just to spend some time together and, you know, at least have things to look forward to, have plans, um, so that it's not just, you know, mundane life for them. We're trying to help them, like, have some fun (laughs) as much as possible, um, to take their mind off things. And, you know, they, they definitely, um, are still struggling and really need as much prayer as they can get right now. Yeah, that's um, that's really, really difficult. Again, I wish there was something we could say additionally, other than that we're, you know, we're really thinking of them and supporting them. If there's anything we can do as, uh, you know, we're about almost 70,000 strong, please let us know if there's anything that our community can do. STS always steps up to the plate. I also just wanted to get your thoughts. We were talking about this when you were kind of cutting in and out. You know, an anonymous woman came in, um, from uh, Bel Air and added another $10,000 to the reward. Um, how do you feel about that sort of, uh, you know, act of kindness by an anonymous person in the community to, you know, basically triple the reward in a week's time? Um, we are definitely very grateful and we're very grateful for all the help that has been given by, you know, every single person that donated anything, 
even just their time or just, you know, like some kind words. Like we are very grateful for all of that because, um, you know, people need each other. We, when we go through hard things, that's how we get through them. We need each other and we need the support of people. And um, I appreciate even just people giving this attention because that is how we're going to catch this person is by giving this as much attention as possible. So um, we definitely appreciate that being donated. And uh, I can't even thank that person enough. I don't know who it is, but we really do appreciate it. Uh, and that is good to know um, because when families are, are mourning, it is obviously very, very difficult. Um, but the kindness of other people definitely goes a long way. This is the GoFundMe page. Uh, there's going to be a link in our show summary today. The COE will put it in there, but there is a GoFundMe page uh, for uh, Rachel Moore. And because of the uh, snafu, we had to quickly switch over. But we also have uh, a tips line that I'm hoping uh, the COE will put up. But there is a GoFundMe page. Uh, if people would like to contribute uh, there, uh, and you could contribute. You can contribute to the reward money as well. Here's the uh, tips number for the Harford County Sheriff: four one zero eight three six seven seven eight eight or that email rmtips at harfordsheriff.org. We'll keep it running uh, throughout the show. Anyone at all, uh, and I know we have some people from Harford County in our audience, so uh, anybody who knows anything at all, and this suspect could be anywhere, but uh, Scott Duffy, uh, this is uh, one of the shots. We had the video. We're going to try to bring it over. Um, this is the suspect whom police are looking for. Uh, you can see him leaving that door on that left-hand side. Of course, Rachel is there as well. Um, and there was news, and we can talk to Randolph to see if you can add to it, but I'm just wondering what you're making of this. There's a video here. Let's just take a quick look. And you'll see that arm right there shutting the door. Uh, we'll play it back one more time here and keep an eye on this arm that you're going to see here. Now, this was... Uh, reported to be a sexual assault of a minor. So everyone assumed that this arm was of that minor person. But Scott, then we got word that this was a, a male who the Los Angeles sheriff's deputies are speaking to. Um, they say he's not a suspect, but what do you make of that? And that kind of, uh, you make the supposition here that there was more than just the victim in the house then, right? Yeah, so the we only know what we know, and as the information comes out, this is an L.A. crime, and CODIS makes the connection for us, but only law, that inner circle of law enforcement knows exactly what has happened. So we're making um, assessments that, hey, if this is a home invasion as what it came out and a sexual assault as it came out, then that must be the uh, the arm the hand of the victim who is glad to see the uh, the the assailant get out of the house and the fact that someone is alive to be able to shut that door and then of course proceed on with whatever and then as additional information whether it gets out through law enforcement or you know makes its way through if there's additional people in the house that only helps law enforcement, you have additional witnesses and you have a story that's able to be corroborated. Um, there are the unknowns. Of course, we want to know more what happened in LA. You have now an idea of an individual 
you, or at least the, the backside of an individual. You have an individual who was and who knows how long is spent inside that house with, if what you're saying is correct, Joel, that it's another individual shutting that door, then that means at least two people inside, if not more. And, you know, with regards to sketches or anything to further ID this individual, those, those would be the questions. And I, and I know law enforcement from Maryland has, has uh, I would imagine, has, has um, traveled, if not more than once, to, um, to meet with investigators over there and sharing and, and uh, providing each other information. But, yeah, there's little, little coming out. Yeah. And I can only imagine from that there, there is more known, which gives greater hope with regards to how this is uh, progressing. And Scott Duffy, I'm going to get to Randolph in a second, and of course back to Shannon. But we had a, a viewer named Golak, um, and they wrote to me, uh, Scott Duffy, and said that I saw in an episode of Forensic Files, our viewers are legit true crime uh, devotees here, that they can create a photo of what an individual may look like from the DNA uh, using something called snapshot, and they have a DNA hit here. A lot of people are asking, why do we not have a frontal sketch of this suspect to pass around to the uh, public? Uh, do you have an answer as to why we don't yet? And we can ask Randolph the same question. I don't. I'm a little surprised two months in. Not, and this is two months from, from um, Rachel's death. But it is far more many months with regards to the L.A. incident. So um, unless this is being kept close to the vest, I'm a little surprised that we don't at least have something. And, and not only using the technology that you're mentioning, Joel, and I know there, there are some tremendous things that are done with regards to being able to provide some sort of digital likeness, but, um, but if you have witnesses um, beyond that of the victim, I, I would... Uh, I would be very surprised if some sort of law enforcement sketch artist has not been brought to the table. And uh, Randolph, to you, do we know why no actual sketch on this yet? Yeah, that's been a kind of a big question that the family's asked, and we've asked obviously internally, is why do we not have more information from the residents of that home? Why don't we have more information from anybody in Los Angeles County? Um, now, it does, as Scott mentioned, it goes back to March of this year. So we have the incident uh, in March in Los Angeles County, and then we have Rachel's death uh, August 5th. So why do we not have maybe ring doorbell camera of the individual coming in? They've said that, that that's not available. It's not there. We don't know why. And again, this is, might be all part of the plan to to hide information so that when they do, I mean, the reason, and Scott would speak to this, is the reason that they don't provide this information is that when they get this guy in a in a interrogation room and he says something that they haven't released to the public, then they know that they got the right guy. Uh, so I get that. I understand that. But why don't we have a sketch? There's a, There's been statements by the sheriff in Hartford County that there was at least two um, now he said it in a way that it made it sound that there could have been more than two individuals in that home. We certainly know that there's a victim of sexual assault. 
Um, my, my recollection is correct that that arm that we saw was a young male, um, I believe a juvenile. So we've got that individual that potentially could provide the, you know, you make observations of individuals and people that you meet all the time, right? You see how they walk, you see how they talk, you see their facial facial features. You notice any type of unique skin conditions or uh, maybe the way their eyes are. Why do we not have this information? So these are a lot of questions that the family asks me, and I give a lot of times give them the same explanation: is maybe the police are holding this back, um, or maybe the witnesses are unwilling to come forward. Maybe the detectives. Uh, didn't get gather that information initially. We don't know a lot of circumstances or, or surrounding that sexual assault. And, um, we've all had cases where maybe the the police initially just dis, just you know maybe dismissed it a little bit more uh, and didn't pursue it. And I know that certainly the Harford County detectives have gone back to California to re-interview and to talk to people out there. They also went to Chicago. We know that that didn't lead to anything. It wasn't a suspect, but it didn't provide any fruitful information. So I agree with Scott, I agree with, with everybody that why don't we have more from the home in California? Um, and that might be, you know, they're analyzing it, you know, and I, we're hopeful that that's the case. By the way, Randolph, you need your own podcast. You've got a great voice. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get cracking on that. I'll charge you a, a very small consulting fee. I'm having fun being a lawyer, though. I don't, I don't know if I could give up being a lawyer all the time. It's too much fun. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying lawyering. That's for sure. Um, so two things in there. Number one, I don't know that we've heard uh, directly that Harford County sheriffs have been to LA, but now uh, we are learning that. I know they were in Chicago, so that's interesting. But were, were the reports of this arm being a male was that corroborated to you by uh, local law enforcement in Maryland? I think that was Sheriff Gaylor last week. Um, I believe we were on um, Dan Abrams or Ashley Banfield last week, and I think I heard him. But I was getting the feed um, while I was. You know, it was sort of like you were getting the feed, but also having to worry about talking. So I was sort of trying to listen and worry about my own <laughs> setup. So, but I, I believe that's what he said, and I'd have to go back and listen. But I'm pretty sure that that was a uh, a juvenile male arm that was in the is in the photo there. And and in fact, I do remember that now because he said I misspoke and originally said it was the victim, but in fact, it was somebody else. That is correct. And by the way, uh, Randolph Rice standing up for all of us reporters. It's not as easy as it looks to talk while someone's talking in your ear. So no, it's that not. Was, that was my life for many years. Um, Shannon, uh, this question from Shivani. I'm just wondering, are you know, she's asking, could there be more mainstream media showing the brief film of the guy to help identify and or locate him? What do you think of the media coverage? Has it been enough? Um, and are you frustrated that there is not a sketch that you, your, your family can disseminate to the public? Um, well, they disclosed to us, I mean, there's, there's good reason, I guess, why there isn't a sketch. I mean, it seems to be that's the case. Um, so as far as that goes, uh, um, I mean, I guess they're doing everything they can do is all I can say. <laughs> and um, as far as like, you know, the other thing, um, I'm sorry, I missed the first question. Can you repeat the first question? <laughs> yeah, just um, are, like, do you feel the media coverage has been robust enough? Do you feel the media is helping enough? Yeah, so we actually have done quite a few interviews. Um, we've been contacted quite a bit. So I think that they are really on it. I mean, I do appreciate any coverage that we get because 
it does help get the word out. And um, we definitely want as many people to see the photo as possible. Um, one thing, and I know that, um, you know, Randolph had worked on this as well, was getting it to a Spanish speaking community. That is also very important. So we've done quite a bit to try to get that, that accomplished as well. And I'm glad you brought that up, Shannon, because I was just going to ask you about that, uh, Randolph. You started a digital campaign in Spanish because the suspect is described as a five foot nine uh, Hispanic male, which is basically half of this country. So I don't even know why they go ahead and issue a, a description like that. But uh, what is this campaign in Spanish? So let me give you the backstory to this. A couple weeks after the murder, um, I, Shannon. Uh, we, put a call out to the community and Shannon and Michael and, um, and Matt, which would have been Rachel's uh, father, the oldest child and a couple people from their church, one of which was a Spanish speaking individual. And we decided that we were going to fan out within a half a mile of the trailhead of the Mon Pa trail and hand out flyers in both English and Spanish. We, because, and at that time, we knew that he was identified as a Hispanic male. So we started going to the areas where we knew where the Spanish-speaking community lived. And the first door we knock on, the gentleman says in Spanish, I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. We said, there's a murder right, at, right around the corner. I don't know what you're talking about. The next door we went to, I don't know what you're talking about. So right there, we said, all right, what are we going to do? And everybody knows that lawyers advertise all the time and we're one of them, right? So we thought, how, how do we use the, the one thing that we know how to do, which is advertise, but turn it into something that would help the investigation and get the, get the word out to other uh, individuals who may not see mainstream media and who may not speak English. So we put together a Spanish language digital campaign. And what this means is, is that all of our ads were in Spanish. Uh, the pictures, we included photographs, we included information about Hartford County Sheriff's Department. We then provided a link for individuals to go through and to see the video to, to talk about the reward in Spanish. Um, and as of uh, this past weekend, I think we had 81,000 people who saw it. Now, the key to that campaign was we ran it in both Hartford County, Maryland and Los Angeles County, California, because we figured those were the those should be the places where this individual would be hopefully best known, and so eighty one thousand people have seen it. We had one hundred and forty people click into that ad and and look at that information, view the um, uh, view the videos, and as of right now, we've had at least six people contact us directly. We've told them not to contact us, but they still contacted us, and we took the information and passed it on to the sheriff's department, but. Uh, our hope is, is that more people went directly to the sheriff's department and contacted them with a tip or information or a name. Um, and so that was the, the idea behind the digital campaign. We're continuing to do that. We hope it gets somebody out there who sees it, who recognizes this man and says, I know who that is. And coupled with obviously the reward uh, and identifies him. Well, if you can get us that link, we're, we're happy to put it in the show summary and we no. get about a over a million views a month. So maybe that'll help. Uh, yeah. You never know. So I'd love to put it in there. Um, this question is for Scott from Ashley, but I'm going to ask it of uh, Shannon first. I mean, Shannon, are you doing anything differently over the last two months? You know, when you go out alone at night, are you going out alone at night? Is there um, a sense that people are on edge a little bit because this person hasn't been caught and could still be in the area? 
So absolutely, I do not feel the same way as I used to about walking around by myself. I've always been quite independent in that way of like, I will go for a walk by myself. I will go for a run by myself as long as I know I'm not in a bad area. Um, I definitely, I mean, I still feel pretty safe in public areas, like, you know, going to the store and stuff like that. But I'm definitely thinking about walking back to my car by myself. I'm thinking about where I'm where I'm parking. Like when I go to the gym now, I actually park closer and I park in the front where I used to park in the side. Um, you know, I definitely can't, I, I can't bring myself to go to that trail alone. Absolutely not. Um, I don't know if I even will be able to bring myself to go to that trail at all again. Um, but any place I used to go to, any park, um, I was always very active and I think twice about it for sure. I do not just go anywhere alone without really thinking through all the possibilities of, is this okay to go? And that is really unfair. <laughs> um, it's quite a shock. It's quite a change in my routine. And um, I don't know how everyone else feels around here. I mean, I still see women out jogging alone, walking alone. Um, but, you know, I'm, I don't want to discourage people. But I definitely would say, you know, maybe think it through a little differently, especially when we know we don't know where this guy is and we don't know where he's going to end up. So that is something I think everyone should kind of watch out for, at least at least until he's caught. Uh well said, and that is a cautionary tale. I grew up in suburban New Jersey. It sounds very similar to Maryland where we didn't lock our doors, um, could run around. Uh, but Scott, to you, um, you've got four of your own little kiddos, Scott Duffy. Uh, this happened in your neighborhood and recently Danilo Cavacante was running around your uh, area. Uh, what would you say to both men and women in Hartford County tonight until this guy is caught? Well, not only until this guy is caught, but I, I have pretty much since early days of my law enforcement career have always been an advocate for the buddy system and the buddy system, not just for women, for boys, for men, for whatever. It, it, it just when you are walking alone and you absolutely know your neighborhood you know your neighbors, et cetera, and, and so you have a tendency to let your guard down because you feel secure in what is or has been a very safe place, right? Until it's not, until something happens. The buddy system is a good thing to have because anyone who's looking to not only do harm, but who's looking to commit a criminal act, whether it be a mugging or, or a theft or whatever it is, they are looking for vulnerabilities, right? A weak link. And, and so they're going to target somebody who is more on their own um, as opposed to groups. And you can see this, you know, widespread. And I think even indicative, as as I was just watching prior to the show and then looking at the comments, not sure, I haven't seen anything to verify, but this, this beautiful nine-year-old girl in upstate New York and the fact that she is with friends bike riding in what is supposed to be a secure place and then is not, right? She decides to go out on her own. And just in that very, very small window is um, winds up missing. 
So any any time you can have a buddy system, um, one hundred percent. It just it's just a it's just a good um, it's just a good habit to have. But at the same time, if you are alone, just have your head on a swivel and uh, just be alert. If you're on your phone or whatnot, it's it's okay. You have somebody who's there, but be mindful of your surroundings as well. And um, and it 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 does matter. It will help. Go ahead, Randolph. Yeah, I I th- I think I think everything Scott said is completely true. But Ray, but Chan also made a good point too. Was that this trail was first off Bel Air, Maryland is like the picturesque, quiet town. You know the the. We joke about the as lawyers that the judges don't mess around there. They don't want trouble in their neighborhood. You know, they don't want trouble in their county. As Shannon mentioned earlier about how they the police, if you got a t- tail light out, you're getting pulled over because they don't tolerate that kind of stuff. And it and it, and that is felt in that community because it feels safe. If you leave this trailhead and you walk um, two blocks, you're at a at a brewery where people are outside having a, you know, an afternoon cocktail or meeting friends and you walk a couple more blocks and you're at a grocery. I mean, it has a small town feel to it. And that's when you, and Joe Scott's point is you, you are uh, maybe let your guard down. And that's why, because it does feel so safe there and why this is such a shock to that community because it's so random. It has the connection to California, which makes, you know, absolutely no sense. Um, and, and why I understand that that community is so shaken and still shaken and scared that something like this could happen there. Um, so I agree with Scott, you know, I, I was walking this morning and I, it was a little dark out and then I had my earbuds in and I thought, Oh gosh, I, I should need to take these out. So I'm not, you know, I can hear if somebody comes up behind me and then my, my staff laughed and said, I'm about six two. And they said, nobody's going to jump you. You're six two. I said, well, you never know. You know, you just don't know what's going to happen. So you got to be careful. You never do know. And uh, I've had Scott and plenty other investigators rule 101 is uh, never have both earbuds in um, because someone can sneak up behind you. But a little bit here. Thank you for the super sticker. Uh, I used to feel safe having one of my adult sons with me. But since Idaho, uh, of course, talking about the Brian Koberger case out there, I don't feel safe anywhere. And then another super sticker from Tia Justice for Rachel Morin. Um, Shannon, to you, uh, we don't know where this person is, uh, hopefully far away from, uh, Bel Air or anywhere near Maryland, but are you fearful, uh, because of the type of attack that this was, and it was heinous, uh, cold, you know, calculated, horrible. Are you afraid that this person will attack again? Um, yes, I, I am. I mean, uh, the sheriff had made it pretty clear that, you know, they have reason to believe this is a serial killer. And I'm going to assume that there's evidence for that, that we don't know about, um, maybe a pattern, maybe something that they, you know, serial killers have patterns that they follow. They have certain things that they do. They might've taken something, they might've left something. Um, and I think that, you know, the escalation between the first crime and the second that are connected was a huge escalation. So those are the things that they're looking at. So I'm thinking that, you know, they know what they're talking about. (laughs) And um, I definitely believe also that he was probably one that he's on a path to become more dangerous as he goes. 
Yeah. Um, so I was looking through some old quotes and from a few weeks back, it was, uh, Colonel William Davis with the Hartford County Sheriff's Office, and he was asked, you know, point blank, and he his response was, we don't have a clue where he is. Um, I thought from an optic standpoint, that wasn't the best answer, but Shannon, you're a family member. Uh, if you hear law enforcement say that, does it kind of take the wind out of your sails? Have you heard anything else that's given you more encouragement? Um, well, yeah, I mean, the fact that they don't know where he is is a little concerning. Um, I mean, it's really concerning because it could be that he's anywhere. I mean, and, you know, I have children. We we have a big family. Um, you know, I have sisters. Like, there's other people that I'm concerned about. And, you know, I know the odds are slim that he would target two people from the same family. So I try to think about that in my favor. Um, just statistically, it's not likely. But I still think that, you know, I don't want it to happen to anybody, even if it's a complete stranger I don't want that to happen to anybody. Um, I don't want anyone to go through what we went through. It's really a nightmare. It is like being in a horror movie. That's the way I can describe it. And, and Shanna, you would know this better than me, but I think that this is uh, uh, Rachel, who she had kids with, Matthew McMahon. Is that right? Uh, he's in the chat here, and he says, I used to leave my windows open. How are you, Matthew? Um, I actually have a quote from Matthew here. Uh, he says, I used to leave my windows open 24 seven all summer long. Uh, Matthew was quoted recently as saying, I think everybody, myself included in the family had hoped that somebody would be apprehended by now. I've heard Matthew speak very eloquently. Um, again, uh, Randolph to you, you know, I assume, you know, you're the direct line since you're the attorney, but even with you, it appears that they are being fairly tight lipped at this point. They are. Um, and I, like I said earlier, I get that. I understand it as a former prosecutor that uh, you don't want to let a lot of information out. But we are two months out now. Um, and that also gives me pause and concern that that the, the information is not coming in as fast. Maybe the tips are slowing down. I mean, I'm sure Scott can probably speak to the, the, the pace at which tips will come in. I'm sure we would see some as uh, the digital campaign probably uh, caused a spike in tips. Uh, maybe the, the uh, reward increase would cause a spike in tips because obviously more media is covering it. Um, but it does worry me at the same time. Um, there's hope that maybe there's somebody else out there. There's another case that maybe he gets linked to. And I certainly don't wish anything you know, upon anybody in the future, but maybe they, they catch a guy, they catch him, before he commits a crime in the future and they're able to link him by a photo and they say, somebody says, this looks like the guy out of Maryland. Um, but it does concern, it concerns us as well that he is, uh, he's on a trajectory to, to do worse. Although I don't know how you could do worse than what he did to, to Rachel. Uh, but he certainly has progressed from California to Maryland in, in, uh, the heinous act that he committed here. Yeah, I mean, the only worst he could do is if he struck again and did it again, which would be awful. Uh, Tia Dash, uh, I've been to the trail, the Mom Pa Trail, and seen for myself all the women walking with earphones in. If you are listening and you hike that trail, you better listen to Scott Duffy and stop doing that. Uh, Shari's News here, Shannon, to you. Uh, I'm sure you guys have all gone over this a million times in your own head, and someone was asking, you know, what kind of gym did Rachel belong to, but... Uh, do you think it's possible Rachel may have known this person in some capacity? Um, 
it's possible she knew a lot of people. Um, but I, I really, I just don't think that she did. That's just my gut feeling, just knowing her. I think, um, unless it was somebody that maybe spotted her somewhere else and stalked her, um, she was cautious about who she interacted with. And so, I mean, even though she was very popular, she had a lot of friends, you know, she knew a lot of people. Um, if someone gave her a bad vibe, she picked up on it like right away and she would keep a distance. So, um, you know, it could be he saw her, like I said, but I don't think she knew him. I don't think it was like a friend of hers or anything. That's just my feeling on it. And Randolph, I'm just curious. So we've talked about L.A. and we talked very briefly about Chicago, but any reason that you know of that law enforcement was in Chicago? Um, the statement from law enforcement was they they had a person of interest, not a suspect that they wanted to speak with in Chicago once they went to Chicago, it turned out that that that, that was a dead-end lead. Um, now, did they go to Chicago from California based on their conversations there, or did they go based on a conversation in Maryland? Remember, Maryland is not providing a lot of information outside of uh, DNA, which was left at the crime scene, uh, and the crime scene itself, which certainly has got to have more evidence and information that we just don't know about. Um, and Scott, I'm sure, can speak to this, but the 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 manner of death the um the the manner in which you know without being morbid but how where was she found in relationship to where she could have been were there other clues were there things missing uh, these are all unknown questions by the public and by the family and by me um, but they are certainly things that law enforcement would have at their disposal to use as a as maybe a piece of evidence that would lead them in a certain direction um, but I think California really holds more evidence at this moment uh, that will help us get to find this uh, this killer. And I and again I go back to this cell phone. I just have a gut feeling that the cell phone that you see in the killer's pocket as he leaves the home in California has got to be the key that connects him to the crime in Maryland that connects him ultimately to who he is. And if you notice the video, as he walks down the steps, there's a bright white light in his pocket there. Right there. Yep, right there. And if we're lucky, and it's not a burner, and it's not a, you know, a, a, a phone that you pick up without any type of information, and maybe it is, a, you know, maybe even then he had to provide something, a, a, an email, another phone number, a person, a credit card to pay for it, which will link him back. I mean, these are all things that investigators can use to track this man. So I am hopeful that that evidence comes in. Uh, unfortunately, we know this, Scott knows this, is, and that we're at the mercy of the phone companies. Um, and if it's a, um, unfortunately, if it's, you know, if it's a, I hate to say a pickpocket in, in uh, Oklahoma and a murder in Maryland, you just have to be in line and the phone companies are going to comply with these subpoenas as they get them. Um, so that's why it sometimes takes a little while. Uh, but once that information is received, hopefully the detectives can can match that up and can find a thread that they can then follow with this gentleman's information. And there you can see it on the right hand side there, that right that right photo. You can see that little beam of light coming out of his right front pocket. So that right. is the cell phone. If you have the same phone, uh, Scott Duffy. Few more minutes and we'll start to wrap up. Uh, Shannon Randolph have been very generous with their time, uh, but Scott, uh, I always ask you this question: pull back that uh, proverbial curtain. You know, we're 
coming up on two months this week. Uh, as far as we know, uh, it is they're actively they've worked up more than a thousand tips, um, according to reports, but we don't have a suspect. What's going on behind the scenes inside the Hartford County Sheriff's Office and also uh, with the L.A. Sheriff's Office? So, well, if I can just speculate as as if this if I was still active and I was offering my my services as an FBI agent to Hartford County, um, and and then L.A. Uh, would be the same for that office. My my hope for the FBI's purposes is that um, we would be involved in the genealogical investigative aspects of this. So that is happening. It is a process. It can take, it is timely. But the FBI, especially in the last year, year and a half, has really put a lot into the genealogy with regards to cold case um, homicides and whatnot. So I would hope and suspect that they are involved. If not, they should be. The cast, which is the the FBI's um, experts with regards to cellular analysis is being able to jump on and to Rando's point, you do, you know, you're talking about a very large country that have a lot of violent crime. And so subpoenas and search warrants are going out many times a day, every day. And so you have a very small investigative um, uh, let's say a circle with regards to all, all the uh, service providers. But the cast unit in the FBI is very good at being able to get these things in a quickly in a timely fashion and being able to to do a rapid fire with regards to putting together from what they can an analysis to put that phone to identify that phone that's in that pocket and then to be able to say, okay, we've identified that phone. Now let's see if that phone is hitting in Harford County at where we need it to be. And, and so once they're able to, to do that and it's, you know, everything's a process, then it's a matter of jumping on and figuring out, you know, what, what is this phone and um, who does it belong to? So those would be my thoughts and my, request it if if a case and and this was often um in wilmington delaware where i was that if there's a case that needed that extra help with the support that we had with all the departments nobody was ever going to deny um outside resources it's just one extra thing to take off the plate of a very busy and a smaller department so that's that's where i'm hoping this is going where it's already at and um and it's just a matter of putting those final pieces together. Uh, Pam Coggins says, I'm still confused as to why this guy is in Cali, is linked to this murder so far away. I may have missed a detail or two. Uh, you really haven't. People are asking the same question. Why was he in these two different places? Uh, of course, why is he committing these hideous crimes? Uh, Roxanne says, Los Angeles people in that house know this guy, in my opinion. Uh, Randolph Rice, what's your intuition tell you? Do you think that someone in that home in Los Angeles does in fact know who this person is? Well, the the manner in which he leaves the home um, is is suspicious to me. If you are a um, you recently perpetrated a sexual assault, why are you calmly backing out? 
seem to be having a conversation with the person at the door. Now, the flip side of that is and the, that he's trying to calm down the individual at the door and maybe trying to explain away what may have happened, which then leads me to believe, well, then does he know the people in the home? And do they know him because maybe it was a misunderstanding or maybe he took advantage of a situation if this was a juvenile or an underage uh, female that he had sexually assaulted, um, it, it, the way he leaves that home, um, and again, if you're leaving that way, uh, why are you going in through something other than the door because they're telling us there's no ring doorbell camera, or there's no doorbell camera video from him coming. He broke in, okay? So he came in through a window, he came in through a do- another door, um, and, and then maybe was he let in? Um, through another door that doesn't have a camera? And ultimately, did he end up having to leave um, suddenly? There there are so many different scenarios. Um, And without the audio, that's another strange factor. I, I, you know, typically doorbell cameras will record audio. Why do we not have that? Um, I have a lot of questions, obviously. Uh, And I, I don't ask them. um, We're not asking them the sheriff's department because again, we respect what they're doing. They know these questions too, obviously. And they're certainly working hard to try to figure out the answers. Uh, But I have a million questions that uh, I know one day will be answered once they catch this guy. Yeah, one of the questions that everyone had on our show when we first showed the uh, video, the doorbell video, is uh, is there a video of him coming into the home that way? Uh, Was he with that minor uh, child at that time? You know, they could have pixelated the minor. So uh, we're wondering if they had that video as well. Meg P saying, thank you for the best guest. Shannon, my thoughts and prayers are with you. Uh, Quick couple questions. Uh, Randolph, to you, one of the big things uh, for about a week in the news was that the family had actually hired Pat Brown, who's a very well-known criminal profiler, and she profiled him as a Hispanic in his early to mid-20s, 5'9", 160 pounds, uh, likely a narcissist, lacking empathy, manipulative, a pathological liar. I mean, these are, to me, very vague um, references. But did that help at all? I mean, what was the uh, thing? It did. Yeah, it, it actually did. It, it's what led us to the canvas within one half mile of the trailhead. And then I think Pat actually mentioned that in her report that she believed that he had some connection to uh, the Bel Air community or had somewhere he laid his head, to, to use that term, the night before. Remember this happened um, around, she left around, I think, 6, 6.30 to go uh, on this jog. And by the way, this was a place that she had been going to for a long time, not only by herself, but with her family. They spent many nights walking the trail after dinner. So this was a familiar space for Rachel. But the idea that this happened, he has some connection. And go on and look at the Ma and Paul Trail on a Google map, and you will see that it is not a jump off the interstate kind of place. This is not a place that you would... Um, you know, just drive by and say, I'm going to stop here and try to do this. This is somewhere that's very, I would say secluded, but you only know it if you have connections to that community. So um, I think that gave us the, the, the vision to sort of say, let's go and try to canvas that one half mile around the trailhead, which then led us to finding out that the Hispanic community had no idea that this had happened. And then ultimately to try to reaching that, try to reach that community through the digital campaign. So I do. I would. I would think it. Ha- it helps. Now, it, is it the um, is it the correct information? I don't know. You know, and I know Pat's obviously trying to do her best with the information she's provided, but it does seem strange that 
that would be a space he would be in if he didn't have some connection to uh, that area. And Pat is one of the better ones out there, uh, not to minimize her at all. Her quote was, Bel Air is 40 miles north of Baltimore. You don't just roll in there like Randolph was saying on a bus for no reason. He has to know somebody that he came to stay with uh, in Bel Air. This is why it's so important for the community to identify this man because he will commit the crime again. Scott Duffy, and then we'll wind it down with Shannon in a moment. But Scott Duffy, um, I mean, Randolph makes a point and Pat Brown makes a point that this is not the type of area you just hop off a train or a bus to, you know, you're enmeshed in this community. Uh, do you think he does know someone here? Uh, Cause otherwise it would be just super, super random, which is unlikely for a place like this. Yeah. I, I whether he knows somebody specifically or, or some, something, someone brought him there. It, and I totally agree with uh, both Pat and Randolph said it, it's, it is, you don't find your way there. Harford County, Cecil County, um, you know, as you go north of, of Baltimore County, it's they are um, communities that are very close knit, and and so for especially because we know that a crime, a similar crime, a sexual assault, took place in California. You're, you know, it really just that adds to the fact that. This guy's not just jumping around, getting off airplanes and interstates. He um, he, he knows where where to be, and so when he's walking out of that door, um, it is not he's not rushing out of there. He's haphazardly just leaving. Um, he's not jumping on his phone. It's it seems like there is somewhat of a casual departure and so to wind up now in harford county absolutely something or someone brought him there and and then what happens after what where where he finds himself so there's going to be something of a that, that's going to come out with regards to okay this is this is why he wound up in in harford county uh, Nora Levine, this channel is the top grade investigative and profiling site on any media outlet. Thank you, Nora Levine. I will take that uh, just because Randolph was saying at the beginning that they did Dan Abrams News Nation. And I love both of them. I actually worked for Dan Abrams back in the late 90s. Super smart guy. But you ain't getting a conversation in depth like this on those channels. I can assure you of that. So keep tuning in to uh, Surviving the Survivor. Uh, Shannon, I'm just wondering. Day to day, I mean, what's the biggest thing that's changed uh, in life for you since this tragic uh, ending to Rachel's life? Um, well, I'm missing one of my best friends. I mean, I can't call her or talk to her. Um, it's really sad, you know, and for my husband and his family, you know, it's, it's probably even worse. Um, I wasn't related by blood, but she's family to me and... You know, um, even just something was, would remind me of her and I'd be like, oh, like, I just want to send her this stupid video or this meme or something, you know, just the silliest things or, oh, I should check on Rachel's, you know, like you, you don't realize what you've lost until you've lost it. And then there's just this empty emptiness. It's very weird. Um, hard to describe, but that's definitely been the biggest change right there is just that, that person missing from my life that was such a big part of it. 
uh, well said. And again, um, you know, unless someone has been in your shoes, they don't know exactly what you're going through. Uh, what I do know is STS Nations, one of the better true crime communities. Uh, our viewers are gifting each other memberships. I love to see that. So thank you for that. Uh, Agent Scott Duffy, he is a massive friend of the show. Met him for the first time at CrimeCon, but he's on every week. As you know, he's the director of Wilmington University's Criminal Justice Institute. He ran the FBI office out of Delaware. He was a PA police officer before that. Scott, uh, your closing thoughts on this evening. Anything you'd like to say to Shannon and her family and where you think this investigation is going to wind up? The investigation is going to wind up absolutely in an arrest. If, and or it's going to end up not so good for whoever did this. In other words, he will be identified, he will be found, and, and so that never lose hope. And it's two months that seems forever for you and your family, but I, I, can, I can guarantee you that uh, they are overturning every stone, and so... Each and every day, it's going to get closer, especially if with the genealogy and the slower forensic aspects of this are going to put together um, and have this person ID'd. So my thoughts and prayers are with you and your family as this, um, you know, there, there are no words to describe. And this should have never, never should have happened. And even though we we all come together and try to give thoughts and how, how to try to avoid it. You know, Rachel was doing what she always did. She had, she loved doing whatever she had doing. And for her to have come across this individual, uh, words cannot explain um, or give you comfort. So my love and prayers for you. Uh, whatever it is outside the show, if if there's something you need, I I would absolutely like, like to make my contacts known, and um, all the best to you. He will be found, and and that uh, this should not have happened, and hopefully will not happen again. Well said, Scott. Uh, the STS, the COE, the chief of everything, thinking of you and all the Morn family. We are heartbroken for you, constantly praying for answers and justice. A man who my own mother would call a gentleman and a scholar is attorney Randolph Rice. Uh, he secured a position with the Baltimore County State's Attorney's Office as an assistant uh, state attorney. Uh, during his uh, tenure there, he tried thousands of cases. He now has his own firm called Rice, Mirtha, and Pesaurus. And from pronouncing the last one right there. You got it right. You got it right. Uh, there we go. And uh, <laughs> most importantly, he is representing the Morin family here and uh, working as sort of a buffer between them and law enforcement to pass along information. Thank you for the work you're doing, Randolph. Uh, your final thoughts on this. Well, I think Scott is exactly right in everything he said. Um, but more importantly, I actually want to thank you guys because without these types of events, these types of media um, we're not having the opportunity to get that picture, that video out. And the thing that I've said to the family since day one was we've got to make sure that we keep that video alive. We've got to keep it out there. We've got to keep it before people. And, you know, like you said, you've got 70,000 people that are going to see this video. And hopefully one of those 70,000 says, I recognize that guy. I know who he is. And I feel like it's time for me to come forward, contact the sheriff's department. They can do it anonymously. 
Um, they can do it openly. They can collect the reward. That's what it's there for. It's to incentivize people. So thank you. I know that, that probably you don't get that a lot, but we want to thank you guys for allowing us to come on, allowing us to share this message. Uh, and we will continue doing this because until he's caught, uh, you know, we are, I think everybody is living in a bit of fear that he can do this again and he will do this again if he's not stopped. I have no doubt in that. Uh, so thank you for, for having us on tonight. And we, uh, we appreciate that uh, very much. And I will say right now, any, any member of the Morin family who wants to come on my show has an open invite at any time. If you want to get any information out any day of the week, 365 days a year, you got an open invite on STS. Uh, Miss Wheelassie, sending healing hugs from across the world, coming to you from Scotland. Uh, thank you, Shannon. Uh, we've got a global audience here who are uh, mesmerized by this case. And uh, thank you, Matthew McMahon, uh, thanking us. No need to do that. Um, and you met Shannon Morin. She is Rachel Morin's uh, sister-in-law. If you could confront this guy, Shannon, uh, today, what would you say to this person? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, honestly, I would say, you know, I really hope God forgives you. And, you know, I hope that someday, maybe at the end of it all, there's forgiveness in, in some way. But I also know that, you know, there's justice and that is so important, um, you know, like God is loving, but he's also just. That's what I believe. That's what Rachel believed. Um, it's fair and balanced. And so he will face justice in the end, no matter what. Well put. Um, and again, uh, really the biggest victims, of course, outside of uh, Rachel herself. Special love to all of Rachel's children. We echo that uh, sentiment as uh, as well. Uh, again, if there's anything we can do, please let us know. Just a quick programming note, tomorrow, 7.30, a different time, 7.30, to accommodate a detective in Akron, Ohio. We're going to talk about all these missing children uh, in Ohio. There have been reported to be more than a, a thousand missing children in Ohio just this year. So we're going to examine uh, that case. And then Wednesday, 5 p.m. Eastern time, we're looking at Suzanne Morphew and what's going on at Barry Morphew, the husband, was in the area of the boneyard uh, when she went missing and was ultimately uh, found there. Her remains were found there. So um, no dearth of horrific stories uh, in this country. This country is too violent. Got to figure out a way to make it less violent. But um, again, Shannon, we're thinking of you and your family. Randolph, thank you for everything you're doing. Scott as well. Love you, America. Love you, Maryland. Love you, Delaware. Philadelphia. Even though Randolph's not a big fan. That's a, I think that's a sports thing. Until next time. Love you guys. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. 
And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.